church. I love my church. And through the course of being with these people week after week and sharing yourself with them and opening up, um, you draw closer, you know, to one another, but it also drives you closer to the Lord. And my relationship um, with God has changed significantly. One more time. Can you read? Yes, I do too. I love my church. You know, God has blessed us here at Grace Brethren Church with some great facilities. Nice sanctuary. Oh, by the way, when, when it comes time to redoing the sanctuary, if we're going to raise the roof, I'm just going to have you guys sing, man. You about blow the lid off this place when you're singing. Uh, but uh, we also have a wonderful set of buildings and a great campus for GCA, the Christian school here. But I want you to understand something. If all these buildings were to burn to the ground tomorrow, the church will continue to exist. The church will continue to meet. We will continue to encourage and love on each other because say it with me, you are the church. Y'all the church. We're the church. We're Grace Brethren Church. Not the facility. Not the buildings. Thank God for the use of these wonderful resources. But this is not the church. We are the church. You know, I almost feel like I drop back a little bit and kind of do a little bit of review. Uh, because last week we had, I think some people are calling it Snowpocalypse 2. Uh, others saying the great whiteout of 2016. Uh, I've also heard, uh, I think one is uh, Snowzilla. I thought that was pretty cool too. Uh, I don't know what you'd want to call it, but we missed getting together last week. And I don't know about you, but I missed getting together last week. And so uh, because of the break and since we just kind of barely kicked this series off, let me just say this. Uh, last week, uh, two weeks ago now, yeah, last week, two weeks ago now, we talked about Vision 2016, Building Grace for the Future. Uh, how many were here for that? Excellent, excellent. If you were not here, I want to encourage you to go to our website. Uh, it is gracewaldorf.org, gracewaldorf.org. Right on the very front of the website, as soon as you get there, you'll see this big red banner that says Vision 2016. Click on that, and you will drop back. And the message from two weeks ago has been uploaded there, along with the four working groups or teams that we have tasked in order to help realize the vision. Now, yesterday, we actually did meet down in the uh, Family Life Center, and we got together and we kind of kicked off the first of what we're calling our builder's breakfasts. Uh, we introduced the team leads, our projects, as well as the folks who are on these various teams. Uh, if you weren't there, I'm sorry, uh, but I do want to give you one more good opportunity. Uh, set aside February 27th. February 27th. It is a Saturday, I believe. On that Saturday, we are going to have our next builder's breakfast. And at that time, each of the people who are working in these various areas of vision are going to share with you where we're at, and then we're going to ask you for your inputs that give us more information to help us complete the projects. So the website, uh, gracewaldorf.org, click on the big red banner, get the message from two weeks ago, uh, mark down on the 27th of February, we're going to get together for our second of the builders' breakfasts. So all that being said, it's time now to move forward and talk about I love my church. Why do I love my church so much? Because we are a gospel-living, generously giving, sacrificially serving, committed community of the people of God who love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to make his love known in the lives of those who don't know him. Amen? That's who we are. And we're going to be unpacking this together over the next number of weeks today. Today, we're going to focus in on this idea of being a committed community. A committed community. Why? Because we can't do life alone. Say that with me. We can't do life alone. My friends, it takes a church to raise a Christian. It really does. And apart from the church, you cannot grow 
and be what God wants you to be. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take us into the book of Hebrews uh, this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to use your own Bible. I will project uh, the text here. Uh, I'm going to read it through. Some of it will seem familiar. A lot of it won't. Uh, I'm going to read it through and then I'm going to have a word of prayer. Then we'll unpack it. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 10 this morning as we talk about committed community. We can't do life alone. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we now have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts now sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, you'll probably recognize these two verses. And let us, not cons and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. Now, there are three great words in this beautiful one paragraph of Scripture. And one of the words is faith. Another word here is hope. And another word here is love. Faith, hope, and love. The three gifts of God's grace that change lives. We're going to pray. We're going to undo this portion of Scripture and understand it, hopefully, in a new way. Bow your heads with me. Ah, Father, it is so nice to be in your presence with the people of God. These are, these are great days, opportunities to just uh, consider again what the church is and, and who you've called us to be and how we're meant to function and how we're meant to love on each other. Thank you so much for this thing called the body of Jesus, the church. It has radically transformed my life. And I'm just glad that I can be here today to be a small part of the Spirit's work in seeing the lives of others transformed and changed. Use this time, I pray, Father, for your glory. In the name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen, amen. Ten years ago now, my family and I uh, lived in a place called, New, uh, you know, New, not New Brunswick, Canada. We lived there for six years at one point in our journey. Uh, but ten years ago, we lived in Ontario, Canada. Uh, just outside of the Toronto area. In fact, we lived in a community uh, that was called Milton. Milton, Ontario. And we actually lived right over here off Clark Boulevard, at where Clark and a place called Watson's Terrace come together. The house we lived in was this one right here. It is 871 Watson Terrace in Milton, uh, Ontario, Canada. And again, if I could remember the postal code, I would tell you, but it's all numbers and letters, and I can't remember all that anyway. So we lived in this brand new community in the outskirts of, of uh, Toronto, Canada. Now, Toronto is, is a, a, an incredible community. Uh, it is a big city. It is growing like crazy, and nobody can afford to live there. So what they do is they continue to build these ever-increasing rings further out, not unlike D.C., where people can afford to live. Well, we were outside of Mississauga, which was outside of Toronto, and we were now in another ring being built up around called Milton. And so we were there working with some church planters, uh, trying to share the love of Christ with people in that area. Uh, so we moved in there about 10 years ago, and we got to know our neighbors who lived behind us. We actually had some very good conversations with them about faith and, and what faith meant. And our neighbors to the other side of us, young couple, uh, they had two little kids. They drove a Mazda. They were cool. You know, everything was just really neat. They were an awesome couple. So we really enjoyed these couples who were our immediate neighbors. And so we're getting to know each other. And I'd walk out my back door. My neighbor would be over there. And we would just walk over and say, hey, how, what's going on? And we would enjoy company. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of good talking. Then they came to me, both neighbors, and they said, it's time. I said, what do you mean it's time? They gave me the talk. Apparently, and I didn't know this when we moved in, but apparently in a new subdivision like this, in order for the community to be considered complete, 
all the homes had to be purchased, and then all of the homes then had to decide together that they were going to build a fence between all the properties. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that a community is called complete when everybody finished building fences to keep everybody out? That's how you build community up here. They said, well, no, no, that's how it works. You know, if we're going to have the proper value in our houses, we have to put the fences up. And so the way it works is this. Because I'm your back neighbor, uh, and this property line we share, you're going to pay half the cost of that fence. Really? And then the one on the other side of it said, yeah, and, and since we share this property line, you're going to pay half the cost of that fence. And I said, well, what if I don't want a fence? They said, you don't have any choice. They, in fact, they had already lined up for the people to come dig the fence posts and put the fences up. And so, sure enough, they came, put the fences up, and then they handed me a bill for my portion of how this works. And I'm thinking, this is stupid. This, well, not that I didn't mind spending the money, but this is stupid. You see, supposedly, community is finally established because good fences make for... That's a lie. That's just a lie. That's not true. That actually comes from a really old poem uh, where it, it is called, good fences make for good neighbors. But that's not true. Listen to me, please. For healthy relationships, you need healthy boundaries. But fences tell people to stay out. That's what fences are about. Fences are, this is my property, that's your property, and stay away. Don't walk on my grass, do not enter, this is my privacy, go away. So fences never make for good community. Fences are actually an obstacle to good community. Now boundaries, healthy boundaries, make for good relationships. But do hear me, fences actually separate people. And so we finished the project, and I'm thinking, this is crummy. I can no longer walk out my back door and engage my neighbor anymore. And you know, the amount of time we actually spent in each other's lives went way down because we built these fences and we lived in our own little nooks doing what we wanted to do without anybody bothering us. And I thought, great, yes, this is real community. What I want you to notice today from the portion of Scripture that we've just looked at in Hebrews chapter 10 is that God hates fences. God hates barriers to community. And that God is actively smashing through, actively tearing down fences that actually keep people from having true community. So in the next few minutes, I want you to see how God smashes through these fences in our lives. And the first one he crashes is our fence between God and us. God wants community with us, and he had to smash the fence between us. Notice with me this wonderful portion from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. What's the first word there? What is it? So anytime you bump into a therefore in the Bible, you need to say, what's it there for? You see, a therefore is actually a hinge word that says what's preceded actually plays a great role in what I'm about to tell you. So when you see a therefore, you should ask yourself, what is it there for? So preceding chapter 10 is chapter... 1 through 9. That's right. So all of the previous part of the book is there. And this much we know from the book of Hebrews. In chapter 1 of Hebrews, basically it's this truth. Jesus Christ, let me say that name again. Jesus Christ is the full and final revelation of God the Father given to us. Jesus Christ is that full and final revelation. Jesus Christ is superior to angels, the book of Hebrews tells us. It also tells us that he is superior to Moses. Now who was this book written to? Who? That's right. These were Jewish believers, people who had come out of Judaism and embraced Jesus Christ as God's rightful way to have relationship with him. So these people were very tied into Moses. Moses was their great prophet. Moses gave them the law. Moses was the one that God used in their lives. So, but Hebrews says, no, 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 you don't understand. Moses is not that great. Jesus is greater. He is more superior to Moses, who gave you an old covenant, which actually made you live in fear and kept you from real community with God. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior because he brings to you a new covenant, one that is now uh, inaugurated through his flesh by his death on the cross, and now he opens up a new and living way into the very presence of God. Therefore, Jesus is superior to everything you've ever known because of his life and his death on the cross. Brothers, 
Therefore, brothers, it's actually the word in the plural. It refers to those who are of the family of God. So it can read, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we now have this confidence to enter into the holy places, the word holy places actually could refer to the holy of holies, the actual presence of God by the blood or the sacrifice of Jesus. He opened a new and living way uh, so that uh, we... uh, So a new and living way he opened through the curtain that is through his flesh. And now we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with God's word, his truth. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is what? That's right. I want you to notice the very strong words about having community with God. We have confidence to enter into the holy places. Let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith. And these former Jews were saying, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. You draw near to God, and you're going to be vaporized by his glory. We know how that works. You're an idiot. It doesn't work that way. He's saying, oh, yes, it does. Because there's a new and living way, and Jesus changes everything. So let me share with you how they would have perceived this, what is actually being spoken of here. Um, Again, these people were were former uh, Jews, so they had a good knowledge of the Older Testament and how God established his presence with the community of God in the Old Testament, Israel. And so um, in the book of Exodus, how many of you are right now reading in the book of Exodus in your one-year Bible reading? Good for you. Uh, If you're not, uh, you should be soon. Uh, In fact, uh, as we make our way forward, you're going to discover that much of what I'm going to talk about right now, we're going to be reading in the next week. So hopefully this will help inform some of that. But in Exodus, we saw how Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt in bondage into the promised land. He got the law, and God also gave him the designs for a remarkable habitation. It is called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was God's idea with God's instruction given to Moses. We're going to read about this starting Saturday uh, as we start reading Exodus chapter 25. And it's going to tell us all the details that God gave to Moses. But this was where God was going to dwell in and amongst his people. And so one of the first things that is part of this uh, uh, area is this thing here, this white thing. What is this? It's a fence. It's a fence. Now what do fences do? Say, come in. Welcome. Fences say, stay away. No way. In fact, that's five cubits high. It's seven and a half feet high. They don't want anybody looking over. This says, stay away. So God is manifesting his presence in the nation of Israel, and the first thing they do is they put a fence around it. Stay away. God is holy. You aren't. You're going to be vaporized if you get any closer. And so the only way in was through this, this entrance, and this was for the Jews who would come with a sacrifice. The priesthood who were consecrated would would, uh, take the sacrifice and burn it on this altar, and then the priests would wash their hands in the laver. There is this building. This is called the holy place. Half of it was called the holy place. The other half was called the holy of holies. In this front portion, the priests would minister every day. They would deal with the lampstand. They would trim the wicks, make sure it had proper oil. They would deal with the table of showbread, putting out uh, bread. They would also deal with the altar of incense, uh, putting fresh incense on it. So this part was ministered in daily. There is this section right here. And this led into what is called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. And there was a thick, heavy curtain that kept it isolated from everyone. And there was only one man who could walk in there one day in the year, and he could only do it with a sacrifice of blood in his hands. And that was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. He would go in there with blood, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. This is where the presence of God dwelt between the cherubim. Right here, a fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He would dwell here, and so they would sprinkle the blood there. That blood was an atonement. It was a covering. It was to cover up the sins of the nation of Israel, because if they were not covered, God would have to consume them because they were sinful. So a holy God dwelt amongst an unholy people in this arrangement. Everything about it says, stay away. Stay away, stay away, stay away. I am holy. You are sinful. Okay. 
That is the wording that is behind what we just read in Hebrews chapter 10. Let me race forward in time a little bit. Uh, about 1,400 years, uh, the tabernacle ended up becoming a temple, a stationary uh, structure. Uh, it was built uh, in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, first by Solomon, King David's son, and then later it was expanded and, and made larger, called the Second Temple, under King Herod in Jesus' day. So this would have been very similar to what Jesus would have seen in his day. And so what I want you to see here is, again, we have this like big courtyard, and then we have what? What's this? Yeah, they went from just a, a cloth fence now to a brick wall. You're, you're sensing the, the sense. Don't you even think about it. That's kind of what that says, you know? So we went from a simple fence to a brick wall. Out here, this is called the court of the Gentiles. Out here, it was where the people who were not Jewish could actually come onto the Temple Mount and they could mill around out here. But it was absolutely forbidden for them to enter into this area. In fact, we know that through the historian Josephus from the first century, there was actually plaques that they would have put up warning Gentiles, do not dare cross this boundary. It's interesting, we actually found one of these plaques about 100 years ago, and it said this, no foreigner, that is somebody who is not of the nation of Israel, no foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade, that's what this structure is, the wall, and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his what? I'm going to kill you. You cross that boundary marker, you're a dead man. Which will follow? And so what I want you to understand is stay away, stay away, stay away. Do not get near. If you're not a Jew, you have no approach. Fascinating. Read Ephesians chapter 2 one of these days. You'll see how Jesus broke down that wall. Another whole, another whole discussion. So here we have the uh, courtyard of the, of the uh, Gentiles. Uh, and then people would walk in through this gate, and this was called the court of the women. And so if you were a Jewish woman, uh, you and your husband could actually go into this area and, and there mill around and, and be this close to the actual presence of God. Um, these stairs are about 10 feet high. The men would walk through this door with their sacrifices, and they would go into this area, which is called the courtyard of uh, Israel or, or the men of Israel. And then you would go up this way, and in here was the holy area, Again, with a table of showbread, the, the menorah, and the um, uh, altar of incense. They were all in there. And again, at the back of the structure was the Holy of Holies. It was this area that we have this thick, heavy curtain that continued to separate the presence of God from people. And again, one time a year, the high priest on the Day of Atonement could walk through that curtain and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat under the cherubim so that the people of Israel would not be wiped out for their sin. Stay away. Keep out. You're not welcome. <laughs> Fences. Uh, drapery. Brick walls all say the same thing. You cannot enter here. However, along came Jesus. And Jesus did something absolutely miraculous. Because what he did is he crashed the gates, he ripped the curtain, and he opened the way into the very presence of the living God for anyone who will come through him by faith. Anyone can approach because of Christ. I love the way that it is actually portrayed in the passion of the Christ.
keep out. Stay away. You'll die if you come any closer. I want you to understand that fences do not make for good neighbors. Fences are actually an impediment to true relationship and community. It was true between us and God. God made us stay away, stay away, stay away until the final aspect of our salvation could be completed through Jesus Christ. And I love how it reads. Notice what it says here. Get out of there. Watch. Watch this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the very holy of holies, the very presence of God, by the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he opened up through what? Of his... They ripped him open. And in the ripping open of his flesh, in the dying of his flesh, taking the wrath of God for our sin, God judged our sin on his son. What happened then is he opened up the way to God. And we now have the privilege of going right directly into the very presence of God through Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament said, stay away, stay away, stay away. And now it says this, we now have confidence. Confidence to enter the holy place. Let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith. That is what Jesus did. That is what Hebrews is saying. Do not go back to your old ways. Do not give up. Continue to embrace and persevere with Jesus Christ because he gives you full access into the presence of God. He gives you salvation, but he also gives you assurance of your salvation. And he alone is the one who can do that. He alone is the one who can do that. So he begins by talking about how we can have community of God because Jesus crashed the fence, the veil that was between us and God by allowing his own body to be ripped apart to deal with our sin. So that's where he begins. But I don't want you to miss this. And this is the part we're talking about committed local church community. Secondly, he goes on to say this, that we are now to have community with one another because of what Christ has done for us between us and God, we are now meant to have community with one another. Let us consider now how we are to stir up one another to love and good works. I like the way the King James actually puts that. We are to, in the King James word is this, provoke one another. There's a weirdness about me. I like that word, provoke one another. So it's to come along and provoke you, provoke you to love in good works. Now, the word love there actually has the idea of very practical means of helping one another. You have a problem. Well, it's here that you're meant to find help and encouragement uh, to continue to go forward. It's here that you're meant to find the assistance that you need to live out your Christian life in a proactive and growing way. That is what the church is all about. That's why we're here. That's what we're supposed to be doing with one another. So he says this, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the what? It's capitalized. That always means it's an important thing. It actually refers to when Jesus Christ returns. When Jesus Christ returns to take his church to be with himself and he brings judgment ultimately on unbelievers. But the idea is that day is coming and as it comes, it gets harder and harder to live the Lord. So first thing I want you to notice under this idea of community is this. Um, we have this need for commitment to the local church. There is a need for commitment to the local church. Again, notice what it says this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Do not fail to meet together as is the habit of some. We have a great need to be together. We have a great need to love one another. We have the great need to serve one another. We have the great need to welcome one another. We have the great need to accept one another. We have the great need to support and encourage one another. One another, 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 one another. I could go on. There's 30 of them in the New Testament that affirm our need to be there for each other. I've said this at the very beginning. I'm going to say it again. It takes a church to raise a Christian. We cannot do this on our own. 
the more we're away from committed community, the harder it is to walk with the Lord. Amen? You know, even missing last week felt amiss. It just felt wrong. Because I need you, and I don't just mean to sign my check. I need you. I need you really bad. Jesus said this, as the day draws near, it's going to get harder and harder to live for him. In Matthew 24, as he was talking about the end times, he said this, sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will what? We're going to become indifferent to the things of God. We're going to be drawn into the world. We're going to be drawn into sports and, and buying things and vacations and doing things. And we're going to lose our passion for Christ because we're not consistently connecting with the people of God. Where we're told to provoke one another, stir each other up to love and good works. This is a necessary element of our relationship with God is our relationship with each other. In fact, if you look in the Bible, which I would highly recommend, you will discover that anytime you find somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ out of fellowship with a local assembly of believers, that they are, they are warned of the problem of apostasy. Very strong wording is connected to those who fail to properly connect with the local body if they claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, here in Hebrews chapter 10, right after these last words, in the day will draw near, it goes like this. Verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after having received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a a fury of fire will consume the adversaries. What is that? There's always great warning, great warning connected to those who fail to properly connect into the family of God. There just is. As one person put it, and I thought they said it so well, they put it this way, a Christian without a church family is a contradiction in the Bible. You know, um, I really wrestled with this, really wrestled with this early on in my walk with Jesus. Uh, I have shared my story here a few times. I'm not going to go in depth or anything right now, but I just want to say this, that um, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior on June the 6th, 1985, a long time ago now. Um, but leading up to that day where I embraced Jesus Christ, there were five years that preceded that of a progressively worsening condition called agoraphobia. Agoraphobia is the fear of people. And so I had, over those five years, continually isolated myself from people. I wouldn't go to malls, I wouldn't go to lunches, I wouldn't go to dinners, I wouldn't go uh, to family gatherings. I continued to isolate myself and isolate myself and isolate myself to the point where I was now living in the upstairs bedroom of this farmhouse that my parents owned, and I was 21 years old. And I couldn't do anything. I was paralyzed by fear and panic attacks. It was there that God met me. It was there that Jesus Christ showed himself to me through Billy Graham being on TV. I embraced Christ with my life. Woo! And then I started reading the Bible. I went downstairs in the farmhouse, and my grandfather had built these nice bookcases, two of them, white, uh, two shelves. And I remember reaching down and pulling out an old Bible. It had my mother's maiden name on it, Margaret Ewing Small. It hadn't been opened in centuries, I could tell. It was just squished flat and dusty. But I remember opening it up and starting to read it now that I had come to know Jesus. I needed to know more about this whole thing I got myself into. He rescued me. And so I started reading, and I came across verses that kept telling me, you got to go to church. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> i got agoraphobia, God. I don't have to go to church. And God's like, I know you got agoraphobia. I rescued you, remember? Yes, yes, I remember. But I kept reading the Word, and I kept reading the Word. And so we had this church in, in the center of our town, uh, it's called South Paris Baptist Church. I grew up in South Paris, Maine, or spent most of my uh, latter years in South Paris, Maine. Beautiful structure, built around the turn of the 1900s. Um, but I started reading the Bible, and a verse of Scripture like this came up. Um, it says in John chapter 13 and verse 35, this is Jesus speaking. 
by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? I'm sorry, what? I read this, and I'm thinking, but I love Jesus. I'm his disciple, but I'm not connected into community. So how would anybody ever know? Because I'm not loving the people of God. So I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, this is bothering me, Lord. I don't like what you seem to be indicating. I've got agoraphobia. Did I ever mention that to you, Lord? (laughs) Bill, I know. So, okay, Bill, uh, you need to get connected with the people of God so that you can love them. Oh, okay. Then I went to the book of 1 John. Big mistake. Big mistake. I went to 1 John, and I started reading verses like this. Oh, go back. By this, the children of God and the children of who? Are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. In other words, if there's not a growing transformation in your life, you're not of God. Nor the one who what? I'm not connected in community. I don't know other believers. I'm not involved in their lives. I'm not loving them. So what it's saying is, how, which, which parent do I have? It was bothering me. Lord, did I ever tell you I have agoraphobia? Lord, did I ever tell you I don't want to go to church? <laughs> Lord, please don't do this to me. And so I cried like a baby. And so I kept reading. And it said this, We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Oh, do we? By this, uh, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the family of God. What God was saying to me at this point is, Bill, get over yourself. It's not about you. I rescued you for my glory. Get to church. Lord, did I ever tell you I have agoraphobia? I don't want to do this. If anybody had a perfect excuse, I had one, I thought. No, 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 no. And then I read this verse. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Let's see. If you're going to claim to be a disciple, if you're going to claim to to have been passed from death to life, if you're going to claim to have been born of God, if you're going to claim to be a child of God, then you're going to engage in biblical community where you can love on others and be loved on by them. Then I read this verse. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, I believe, has been born of God. Yes! And everyone who loves the Father, notice this, loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. And what's God's command? get your tail down to a local assembly where you can be loved on and do some loving. That's a command. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And one of those commandments is that we will love the brethren. (sighs) June 6, 1985, I came into relationship with Jesus and I started reading the Bible. And I would keep saying no, 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 no. I've got agoraphobia, God, don't you know that? Memorial Weekend. I believe it was uh, May the 25th, 1986. Almost one full year of wrestling with God, wrestling with agoraphobia, trying to be obedient. I said, okay, I'm going to try this. And I remember the day very vividly because I was already having panic attacks. I was already in the throes of flushed face, sweating palms, heart palpitations, just thinking about going. And I put on these big black shoes that I had purchased for graduation and didn't use because I had agoraphobia. Did I ever mention that to you? So I didn't go to my own graduation. I put on a pair of chinos. I didn't wear jeans in those days. Uh, And then I found a white shirt, and I put on my father's tie. It was one of those big wide ones. You remember those? I tied the ugliest knot you ever saw. I mean, just a big old thing here. I had no idea what I was doing. And I remember pulling into the parking lot of this church, South Paris Baptist Church, and I remember sitting in the car saying, God, you got me here. I'm in big trouble. Already I feel like I want to run. And he says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Obey me. Obey me. So I got out of the car, 
and I remember walking towards the church, and uh, somebody opened the door and said, hey, welcome, nice to meet you. And I'm thinking, I want to run, I want to run, I want to run. You know, the, the reality is something called fight or flight. I didn't want to punch that nice person, so I thought I should run. <laughs> but I said, no, you're with me, Lord, you're with me. And so I remember going down, this is for Sunday school. I was going to do Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night prayer meeting. If I'm going to do this Christian thing, I'm all in. You know, that kind of deal. But this was my first go. I've got all these emotions going on. I've got all this stuff happening inside of me. And I go down the stairs into this building, turn right, walk through the old part of the building into the new part of the building, and there was a college career age class. About 10 people sitting around a table. And I sit down there, and I'm just dying. And Mike Welch was overseeing the class, wonderful man of God, he said, hey, we've got a guest with us today. Oh, gosh, he noticed. Why don't we introduce ourselves around the table? Okay, so hi there, hi there, hi there. I want to leave, I want to run. Hi there, hi there, hi there. And then one of the voices that came out from around that table, my name is Bambi. <laughs> this summer will be our 28th wedding anniversary. You see, what I want you to get is this. God blesses obedience. God blesses obedience. And I can't tell you how important that church of people were, and my wife in particular, in my life, of helping me to overcome agoraphobia. It took five more years. But it was through the church. It was through loving me. It was through tolerating me. It was through accepting me that I ultimately overcame all of that garbage. And now I find myself standing up in front of people like you today. You all scare me. I just want you to know that. But I'm only here today because Jesus crashed the gate and made a way for me. And Jesus broke down the barrier between me and the people of God. And I got loved on. And my life got changed and transformed. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. By the way, there's one more verse here. I didn't put it up because it scared the willies out of me. It's actually found in 1 John 2. Notice what it says. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all out. Can I just say that if you find somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and they are not connected into biblical local church community, you have either found somebody who is absolutely living a life of rebellion from the word of God, or you have found somebody that really has not been born again. That's the truth of scripture. That's the truth of scripture. That's how it connects. So first and foremost, the need for commitment to a local church, to not neglect the uh, meeting together. And then lastly, when it comes to this idea of community with one another, the need for transparency, the need for transparency with one another. Again, I want you to notice, we are to provoke one another, to stir one another up, to love and good works, that we are to be encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day come near. You cannot have biblical community just by showing up on a Sunday morning. That's a good step. That's a good first step. But it takes more than that if we're going to experience the type of true community that God wants. You know what happens? Most of us end up coming to church. Jesus crashed the fence between us and God. We've embraced uh, uh, the Father through the Son. And then we come to church, and we're like this. Hi there. My name's Wilson. We enter into the church, but you know what? The fence is there. And we're just peeking over, taking a good look at y'all, and then getting back down and protecting ourselves, not really letting people see who the real us is. So we continue to have a fence up when we enter into the church even. But what God wants to do is he wants to crash that fence, and he wants us to be defenseless. And he wants us to be open, and he wants us to be transparent. He wants us to be in each other's lives in a very real and genuine way. We're actually getting in there and dealing with the stuff of life. That's his goal. Now, for those of you who are not old enough, meet Wilson. This is from Home Improvement, a show that was back on about 150 years ago. Is that right? Yeah. 
not so long ago for some of us. But this, this is Tim the Tool Time Taylor, and this is Wilson, his next-door neighbor. Do you realize they lived next door to each other for years, and they never saw Wilson? They only saw this much of him. Did you know that you can come to church for years, and nobody knows you? Because all we ever see is just what you want us to see. That's not what God wants. We really need to get involved, get into one another's lives. We need to get to that level. So what Jesus wants to do is not only crash the fence between us and God by ripping the curtain that, that ultimately separated us from the presence of God, but he also wants us to deal with this mess. And he wants us to get rid of the fence. He wants us to be open. He wants us to have transparency and intimacy and vulnerability with one another. Listen. Healthy boundaries make for good relationships. But fences say keep out. We cannot have true biblical community if we continue to walk in here with our fences up. It is only through frequency. It is by the idea of meeting, not neglecting the meeting together. It is through frequency and transparency the community happens. It is by consistency and by intimacy the community happens. It is by constant proximity, not neglecting the meeting of yourselves together as is the habit of some. And it is through vulnerability, provoking one another to love and good works, that we can have true community. That's how it works. That's how it works. Did I ever tell you God hates fences? He's all about smashing them. He's all about crashing them. Because fences are a hurdle to true community. I'm just going to end with some opportunities for you. You know, community is one of those things you walk into step by step. Very rarely does somebody just leap over it all and just jump right into the depths of community. So really there is a growth process to true biblical community. And the first part is this, and it's a simple question. Do you have the assurance of your salvation? Do you have the assurance of your salvation? I do want you to know that God wants you to know that you have salvation. He wants you to have confidence to enter into the holy place. He wants you to have a, a true heart full of assurance of faith. Do you know that you know that you know that you know Christ. Secondly, first step, second step, have you been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ? You see, baptism is not simply to say, I'm going to show you the inner work that Christ has done in my heart publicly. Baptism has always been the entry point into biblical community. It is that moment where the family of God embraces somebody and says, yes, now let's walk and, and run with this person in their endeavor to uh, live for Christ. Number three, are you a member of Grace Brethren Church? Membership is commitment. It says I'm willing to step in there and I'm willing to do what it takes to be a committed member of this assembly of the people of God. Do you have assurance? Have you been baptized? Are you a member? These are steps towards biblical commitment. Biblical intimacy. And then lastly, and this is ultimately important, are you connected in community with others? Are you in a small group? Are you in a, a group of people where you can actually have life on life, where you can speak your heart and talk about your life and others can speak into your life as you speak into theirs? This is the beauty of what happens when we really get down to the truth of true community. I want to give you a chance right now to reach into that chair back in front of you, we have those wonderful little blue cards, blue and white cards, our connections cards. And I want to encourage you, write your name on the front. And on the back or on the front, wherever you would like, whatever step you need, we're here to help you. If you lack assurance, write the word assurance on there. I did this in the first service, and I have two cards with people who lack assurance. I'm going to follow up with them this week to talk to them about how they can know that they know that they know that they have a relationship with the living God. So if you lack assurance, put that down there. I'd be happy to talk to you. Have you been baptized? If you need to be baptized, write the word baptized on there. I had three people write down that they want to get into membership. They've been coming and enjoying and being a part, but they haven't been committed. And so I had a number of people say, yes, I want to be a member. And then lastly, do you need to be in a small group? 
We have new small groups all the time here. And I would love to connect you into biblical community where you can do life on life with others. Committed community. Why? Say it with me. We can't do life alone. We just can't. Let me pray for you, and then I want to invite the band to come up, and they will close us. Father, I love my church. And Father, I know that Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for us. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, thank you for using the church in my life to so radically work on me, uh, to transform my life and to change me. I am just so grateful for those men and women over many years who invested their lives in me. And I thank you that I'm now in a place where I can help invest my life in the beauty of Jesus in the lives of others. Lord, help us not to play church. Help us to be serious about this thing. You want to radically change who we are. And that doesn't happen unless we're in biblical community. Thank you again for the body of Jesus Christ, how beautiful she is. Thank you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, Father. Amen. Would you please stand with me?